Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. I uh, thank you for joining me in the house of the Lord this morning. We convert my home into Gospel Saving Church, the church, every Sunday morning. In case you're out there listening and you're from SoundCloud or podcast, wherever you're coming from, you can welcome to join us if you're in the area. We're in McKinney, Texas. Praise be to God. We worship the Lord every Sunday, no matter what, right? Amen? Praise God. So uh, thank you for joining us, and thank you for coming to my house, house, everybody, and thank you for joining us, everybody from all over the world, different countries all over the world, and SoundCloud and podcast. It's a pleasure to uh, be able to speak and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the fellowship that we have here and, and know that everybody's listening and getting fed. So anyway, let's, uh, if you want to join me in a word of prayer, and we'll uh, lift up the service in our ears. In my mouth, because definitely I need help. We all need help. So, uh, Lord, thank you so much, Lord, for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for this message that you've given me, Lord. It's a it's a good message this week, Lord. I it was a difficult one to to set up, Lord, especially at the end. But Lord, I'm so thankful that you gave it to me, Lord, and that you helped me even to live it. So, Lord, I thank you and praise you and. And uh, Lord, you are our special guest of honor in this place today, Lord, as every day, Lord, you are in my life, Lord. I pray that everybody would consider every day that you would be a special guest in their lives every day, Lord, as it, it, as it is a joy and an honor to walk with you every day of my life. I pray that you, I lift up to you, Lord, those that will hear this message. Lord, I pray that they wouldn't just hear it and, and look away from the mirror and walk away, Lord, but I pray that they would hear it and continue to look at themselves in the mirror, and Lord, and be a doer of the word, Lord, that they will go away and do the things that we talk about today, Lord God, because the things that we're going to mention today or talk about today, or they, they, hit, they hit home, hard things to talk about. So, Lord, I just pray that we would do the things that you tell us to do, Lord God, and not just listen to them. We'd be hearers of the word and not doers only. Or it would be, we would not be hearers of the word only, but doers, Lord, excuse me. Anyway, Lord, I praise you and bless you and thank you. And I pray for my mouth that, Lord, that I would preach boldly today, Lord God. And that I would be able to say the things that you want me to say, Lord. And that I would relay the message that you gave me to those that are listening to me. We praise you and we thank you, dear God. We love you. And we ask all these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you guys want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 17. I'll give you the title in a little bit, but Matthew's chapter 17, verses 24 through 27. I'm not going to read them uh, right now. I'm changing it up a little bit. I'm going to start changing it up. Uh, right now, we're going to, uh, as far as I know, God's got me on this little kick we got right here. It's, uh, it's a little thing I'm going to start calling uh, some thoughts from last week's sermon. Because normally I do that anyway. Normally I recap last week's message, and that's what I normally do before I start the main message. Just to kind of bring us back as we teach verse by verse here. You know, week after week, and so it's important that we keep last week's message in, in our minds afresh, and then we, when we go, usually the Bible has a, the context, and the context usually carries over, or our scenes will switch, or so on and so forth. So if you join me for what I call, for right now anyway, some thoughts from last week's message, God's character is love. I start out with the verse God put on my heart, 2 Timothy 2.13. And the Bible says, if we are faithless... He, meaning God, slash Jesus Christ, remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. What does this mean? It means God cannot deny himself. No matter what we, you know, how we change or so on and so forth and how the world changes every day, God does not change and he cannot deny himself, meaning that God is who he is. He doesn't change. And he can't deny himself. And there's certain aspects about himself that he cannot deny. Per last week's message, God's character is love. One of those characteristics that God cannot deny about himself is 1 John 4, 8. He, God, or Jesus Christ, they are love. At one point at the end of last week's message, almost to Sunday, is I was reading over our couple verses that I studied last week. God pointed something out to me that I never spoke about last week. It was another aspect of his love that I didn't get a chance to talk about. 
At the point he showed me this other aspect of his love that I didn't speak on, he had already filled my head and my heart with the different aspects of his loving character that I didn't feel led to talk about him. Remember, we talked about him last week. Number one you know, aspect of God's character of love we saw last week is the fact that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to be taken away from them. What? Because he loved them. Why? To help them prepare for the time that he would be taken away from them. Because it's difficult. They loved him very much. They gave up a lot of their lives for him. And the fact that he was going to be taken away from them was a hard thing for them to handle. So he loved them and he wanted to prepare them with pure love. And number two, the second thing we talked about. It seems that, you know, God works slowly. It seems that, you know, God works, you know, doesn't work as fast as we wanted to work. And remember, we talked about that's really only for the purpose of his love, because he loves it, because of the salvation he wants to save people. He only works slowly. He only gives people a long time because he wants them to get saved. Well, these two things were enough to speak about. They filled our time plentiful, and that was all that I was led to speak about. And they are some amazing characteristics of God's love. Am I wrong? Praise be to God. But as I prayed about what God wanted me to say for this week, as I prayed, Lord, help me. What do you want me to speak on this week? And I was thinking of that recap. That recap was in my mind. Okay. The Lord immediately put this, this other aspect that I talked about, that I didn't talk about last week, back on my heart for this week here. So I'm going to speak about it. So I want to show you what other thing God showed me last week that I'm going to put on this week. I'm going to run real quick over Matthew 17, 22 and 23. And then I'm going to show you and I'm going to just zip through them and I'm going to show you the wonderful thing that God showed me about himself in this as well. Jesus said, or the Bible says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into into the hands of men. And they will kill him and the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful you got to understand, the very act that Jesus Christ spoke about, the very thing that he said he was going to do for us, was a hundred percent love. In fact, it screams out love. He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, they're going to take me, they're going to murder me. He knew it ahead of time. You know, there's been times in my life when I knew something was coming and it was not going to be a good thing. I wasn't excited about getting it and I I didn't even really want to talk about it. Here, Jesus talks about this terrible, devastating thing that was going to happen to him. They were going to, he was going to go to Jerusalem. They were going to take him. They were going to murder him. And then he was going to die. And then he was going to be raised up the third day. This was a terrible, terrible thing. And the fact of what just him doing this for us screams out. Love, love, love. I would, fa- I would contend that it even screams out the fact that the very essence of God is 100% love. Wow. If that doesn't show you this beautiful aspect of the love of God and the love of Christ Jesus, I, I don't know what will. After I thought about this, I was thinking about this last week at the end, and you know, as I thought about it, for this sermon this week, I thought about this. After I realized this and after I put it down this week, I am thoroughly and utterly convinced at this new revelation and what I taught last week that not only does God have a loving character, but God himself and every single solitary thing or aspect of and about him are pure love as well. No matter what act, I'm firmly convinced at this now, no matter what act you could read about that God did in the Bible, no matter what thing that God said, no matter how you interpret it, no matter how you think about it, no matter how it sounds, whether it sounds like it was a bad thing or it sounds like it was a good thing, no matter what it is, if you, you have to absolutely know, I want you to know, that even if it seemed bad, God's essence is love. So, no matter what he does, Know this, it comes from a purely loving character and it comes from his very essence of love. 
The Bible says that man's heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Deceitfully. We don't even know how wicked we are, God says of us in one of the prophets. Well, I would say this. If our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things, God's heart is pure love, 100%. Absolutely, hands down. And, and everything I read in the Bible, everything I read in the Bible, I'm finding new aspects of His love. We're going to cover one of them today. I find new aspects of His loving character throughout the Word of God all the time. His love is so deep, and it has so many levels. That's, it's just so, 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 so deep. So I hope, seeing all this, and hearing me preach for a long time, if anybody's been listening to me for a long time, that you can absolutely see that God is love. Jesus Christ is love. Praise God. On to our verses this week. Matthew 24, or Matthew 17, 24 through 27. Let's read them. And then I'll give you our title. The title before we read them is, The Master Pays the Temple Tax. Or, excuse me, Why Does the Master Pay the Temple Tax? Let's read them. Verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? He said, Yes. And when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him, saying, What do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? Peter said to him, From strangers. Jesus said to him, Then the sons are free. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that comes up first, and when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for me and you. And I have a correction before I continue. I misspoke. The title is, Why the Master Paid the Temple Tax. Excuse me. Pardon me. So we have a new scenery in our scripture this week. We have a brand new scenery. Verse 24 tells us that they are now in Capernaum. This is a fishing village on the northwest side, or you'd say edge, of the Sea of Galilee. They were in Galilee last week when we read about how Jesus gave them the bad news of his demise. In verses 22 and 23. We don't know where exactly they were at in Galilee, but Mark 9.30 tells us that they were passing through. We have a parallel scripture in Mark 9.30. And it says that they were just passing through Galilee. Some neat little information about Galilee area, because we know, what, like I've said before, Jesus spent the majority of his time ministering in Galilee. Galilee is 80 miles from north to south. That'd be, you'd say, up and down, 80 miles wide or tall, and 50 miles from east to west, which would probably be wide, coming at a, right around four to 5,000 square miles. Now, this wouldn't be anything for our day today. Four to 5,000 square miles, you know, to, go, to drive 80 miles, it only takes, you know, just under three hours, depending on how fast you're going. It would be nothing for us today, but in Jesus' day, of course, remember, they mainly walked, you know, or maybe, you know, rode by horseback, but Jesus wasn't riding by horse, they were walking. So they were passing through this area of Capernaum, which was in Galilee. Don't know where, but now they're in Capernaum this week. So our new location, Capernaum is the next place also for the next miracle that Jesus does. What's the miracle? The money in the mouth of the fish. Interesting note, just some interesting notes here. This is the only gospel in which this miracle is spoken of in. There's no other gospel that has this particular miracle of the money in the fish's mouth than Matthew 17, 24 through 27. Interesting note. Second thing that we see in verse 24 is the event that brought on the miracle. What is the event that brought on the miracle? It's in verse 24. When they had come to Capernaum, those who received the temple tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? So look at these guys. We enter the collectors of the temple tax. 
And Peter's out. We don't know what he's doing, but Peter's away from Jesus at this time. They come to Peter, and what do they do? They accuse him. They, what, they, what they did really, they, they came for strife. They came to start more controversy. I would put my money on if I was bet, if I was a betting man, which I'm not, but I would if I was a betting man, would bet you that these people that came were from the religious leaders. Well, why would I say that? Scripture shows us all over the place that the religious leaders were always coming to Jesus, trying to attack him, testing him watching him to see if he was going to commit some kind of wrongdoing or some kind of sin. Just a couple examples outside of this scripture here. John 8, the woman caught in adultery. Okay, Remember, if, if you remember correctly, the, you know, the religious leaders brought this, brought this woman who supposedly was caught with another man, you know, and, and they did that just to test Jesus. And, and that would be John 8. In Matthew 12, remember, Jesus and, his, or Jesus and his disciples were walking through the grain fields. And they were uh, picking some heads of grain and there were religious leaders standing right there going, you know, oh, you know, they're, they're, they're doing something on the Sabbath. They're, they're doing what's not lawful, you know. And what were religious leaders doing in the grain fields on a Sabbath? They weren't even allowed really technically to be there to be working in the grain fields because that was against the Sabbath law to work anything and to do any type of work in the grain and anywhere on the Sabbath day. So they were always coming to him to test him to check him out, to see if he was doing wrongdoing, to see if he was doing, you know, committing some kind of sin. You know, one of the verses of the New Testament that reminds me the most of the life of Christ and the life of his disciples, and I know it's for us, but this also reminds me of Jesus too, is 2 Timothy 3.12. Paul says, Yes, and all who desire to live, a God, to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Well, if all those that will live for him will face persecution, then it would only be right and it was true that the master, our master, those who are desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, he would also suffer persecution as well. And that's exactly what what we see here. Remember, uh, the religious leaders, when they came to Jesus, this is another reason it shows me that I believe they were from the religious leaders, is they had no respect for Jesus. In fact, they had nothing but disdain for him. And here we read these guys that come for the temple tax, what they say to Peter, uh, does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Notice they didn't say, does your Lord or does the Lord, as those came in reverence, used to, re- used to talk about Jesus all the time, they came and said, does your Lord or, or where's your Lord or, you know, the Lord Jesus, you know, they would call him. But these here, just your teacher. So I believe, and I'll say again, these guys came from the religious leaders to bring Peter an accusation against Jesus. What is their accusation in verse 24? I read it over quickly just again. Does your teacher not pay the temple tax? Please understand, this is not a question of like where they're just, hey, uh, by the way, is your teacher going to pay this week or, or is he not? The way that they say it here and their tone in Scripture, it's almost like this. You know, we come to church every Sunday. And let's say you go to church every Sunday. After you leave church, you go to a restaurant to eat. Well, then to the waiter or waitress, you know, you, you know that if they're there at the time when you're getting off church, the chances are they didn't go to church that Sunday. So you might say to them, don't you go to church on Sundays? Is all you, you know, do you just work on Sundays or, you know, don't you go to church? And that would be the same kind of question. They really weren't asking if he was gonna for real. They really they were running to just attack him. This was more of a conflict, the uh, you know statement than a just a question. The inference here, in fact, is that has he ever paid the tax, or does he ever intend to pay this tax? So the word there for temple tax, by the way, is translated tribute in the King James version. When you go back to the Greek, it's didrachman or double drachma. And its value, this will matter later, as I'm going to show you in the scriptures. And its value, the value of what, what they wanted Jesus to pay was half a shekel. Where did this tribute come from? Because this was a tribute. This was a tax that the Jews paid. Where did this tribute come from? It comes from Exodus 30, 14 through 16, where God tells Moses, it's how it started. He says, God tells Moses of the children of Israel, 
Everyone included among those who are numbered from 20 years old and above, so Jesus would have fallen in that category, shall give an offering to the Lord. The rich shall not give more than the poor, and the poor shall not give less than half, or neither of them shall give half than a, uh, than less than a half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves, and you shall take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and you shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of meeting, that it may be a memorial for the children of Israel before the Lord to make atonement for, your, for yourselves. So notice what I said, that the temple tax, of course it wasn't a temple tax back then, it was for the tabernacle of meeting. It soon to came, it, it soon came to be that this tax was for the temple, as we see later on in the scripture. But this is how this temple tax or this tribute tax for God was started in Exodus 30, 14 through 16. So in verse 24, these guys come to Peter and they bring a charge against Jesus of not paying his temple tax. Did they have a reason to accuse him? It's a good question. Although in verse 25, Peter denies their accusation. Look at here by telling them, verse 25, and Peter said, yes, meaning that Peter was, or Jesus was going to pay it. We read about Jesus having a different attitude about this tribute in the scripture that follows. Just quickly go with me over 25 through 27 again, and I'm going to speak on it a little bit. Look at Jesus's attitude toward this paying of this tax. Peter says, yes. So when he had come into the house, Jesus anticipated him saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do the kings of the earth take customs or taxes? From their sons or from strangers? So you, we see right there, Jesus is kind of like, he's like, hey, Peter, by the way, who, who, who's normally taxed or who normally has to pay this tribute? Would it be strangers of the kingdom or, you know, the king's sons themselves? Peter answers and says, from strangers, you could say, of course. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. That statement there, he was saying basically, the sons are free. The sons, he was saying, which is me, I'm a son of God, I shouldn't have to pay taxes. So in essence, Jesus was saying here, I haven't paid this tax and I'm not going to pay this tax. But look at this next statement. Nevertheless, least we offend them. So that showed you right there, Jesus really had no intention of paying this tax of this temple. Nevertheless, at least we offend them. Go ahead and go to the sea, you know, catch a fish. The money's going to be in there and go and then, you know, pay the tax for both of us. So we see Jesus's attitude here is like, well, since they came and since they're making a stink about it, I, yeah, let, let's go ahead and do it. You know, at least we offend them. But really, Peter, I'm a, I'm a son and, you know, I really have no intention of paying this tax. Now, this accusation against Jesus in verse 24 is pretty severe, considering he claimed to be the Messiah. Okay? This would be the Jewish Messiah, the promised Jewish Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And if he was the Messiah, listen to this, to not do something ordained by God would be sinful. And this tax, in this tribute, tax or tribute, was ordained by God. If God says to do something, some kind of law or rule, the Messiah of all people, since the Messiah was going to be perfect, or the Messiah was to be perfect, the Messiah was going, would do everything right to the T, 100% of whatever God said in his law or his rules or his ways, the Messiah would absolutely keep them, all 623, with perfection, without any hesitation. So this accusation against Christ is huge. Because by the sound of what Jesus just said, he had never paid it or, again, didn't ever intend to pay it. Now, wow. Did Jesus just admit to doing something against God? Did Jesus just stand up and say, you know, I don't really feel like paying it. Maybe because, you know, the religious leaders, you know, they're, they're really running Judaism into the ground. I mean, after all, I mean, does, did he have a point? The most common reason that the people... People even to this day don't do what the government says or don't do what the law says because, number one, they don't agree with it. They maybe feel it's unconstitutional. Or, number two, they think the law is corrupt. And we all know that there are many aspects of people, you know, that run countries are very unlawful. So people, a lot of people nowadays have this kind of attitude where I don't have to do what the government says because, you know, the government is corrupt. 
So did Jesus have this kind of attitude toward the religious leaders? Did he think to himself, well, I don't have to pay because, you know, of all the corruption in Judaism. If he would have thought that, he would have also been going against what Paul wrote by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in Romans 13, 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul says. By inspiration of God here. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that are exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Did you hear what Paul just said? Paul just said to obey the laws of the land because why? God put them there. It's because of God. God is the one who orchestrated those people being in office who made those laws. So obey the law of the land is a biblical thing. Whether you agree with it, whether you disagree with it. And the Bible tells us that we should obey the law of the land even as Christians because why? God put it there. Now, the only laws that God says we shouldn't abide by are those laws that go strictly against God's word. Uh, you know, don't preach Jesus as we saw one of them in the New Testament. Well, the Bible says Jesus says go forth in the, all the earth and preach the gospel. So we can't obey that one because it's better to obey God than it's better to obey man. Okay, but nevertheless, obeying the laws of the land is something that God wants us to do. So this temple tax ordained by God being upheld by the religious leaders was something that all Jewish people were supposed to do. So was Jesus in error? Was Jesus sinning for not paying this tribute? This tribute would have fallen under the law of the land, under the religious law of the land, under God's law. Back to these guys who came to Jesus. Did they finally find an accusation against Jesus? Did they finally catch him in some sin that he was doing? Ah, we got you. There's no way. If you don't pay the temple tax, there's no way you could be the Christ. That's a sin. Because if he did sin, if he did break God's laws, then he could not be the Messiah. They, he could not be the Christ. And this is what they were looking for when they came to Peter here so did he break God's laws and sin, disqualifying himself from being the Christ? What do you think? Well, I know, and because God showed me, and if you don't know, I'm going to tell you. Of course he did not. Absolutely. Jesus Christ was the Messiah, the Son of God, the Son of the living God. And how do we know this? Because the Scripture tells us. There's one little detail about Exodus 30:15 that I did not speak on because I saved it for now. A closer reading of Exodus 30.15 gives us the answer. Listen to this answer. Why did Jesus not pay the tax? Why did he not want to pay the tax? Exodus 30.15, God says to Moses, The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When you give an offering to the Lord to make atonement for yourselves. Listen. This tax, this tribute was instituted for sinful people. God just said it was for an atonement. Atonement is for what? Atonement is for a wrongdoing. Atonement is to be paid for somebody's sin. Okay? Well, Jesus the Christ, we know by the Bible tells us that he never committed one sin. In fact, he was sinless. To make atonement means that you are making payment for your wrongdoing. And you have to be reconciled to God. Okay, But since Jesus Christ had never committed a wrong, Jesus Christ had never committed a sin, he, was never, he, would, have never been, he would have never been required to pay this atonement tribute because he would have been exempt. That's the first and number one reason. I alluded to it earlier. There's actually a second reason. Why he tells us that he didn't have to pay the tax. Verses 25 and 26, he calls, he says, From whom, Simon, do the kings of the earth take customs, from their sons or from strangers? And Peter says, well, of course, from strangers and not because of sons. Well, Jesus Christ himself was the very only begotten Son of God. And God would have definitely not have required this tax to be from his Son, only from those that were in his kingdom from strangers, definitely not his son. So very clear that Jesus did not commit wrongdoing here by, or in sin and did, by not paying this temple tax because he had no reason to pay it. 
But the biggest thrust of our message here is our last quarter or last third or last half. Although he was free from paying this tax and he was not in the wrong at all by not paying it, he shows us a very difficult principle here in the first and last part of verses 20, or verse 27. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it over quickly. He says, nevertheless, now remember, he didn't have to pay it. He wasn't in sin if he didn't pay it, and he wasn't going against the law by not paying it. Yet he says, nevertheless, lest we offend them, you go to the sea, get this fish, and go ahead and take this money after you've got it, and pay them for both you and me. Least we offend them. This is a tough, tough, tough verse. In all of Christianity, this is a very tough concept. Very tough verse. Number one, a Christian or a Christian was supposed to be an imitator of Christ, imitator of Jesus. We're supposed to do as Jesus did and do as Jesus said. That means that a follower of Christ is supposed to follow Jesus' example of exactly how he handled this situation in their lives. So what is this example that he just gave us? Jesus was God's son. The disciples here, or and the disciples here were also his followers, which made them God's kind of adoptive children. And the Bible talks about that. All those that are in the vine, all those that are in Christ, which the disciples were, except for Judas, were in Christ. That would have made them God's adoptive children. But these that came to Christ were against him. Those who came to Peter, excuse me, were against Christ. So they would have been considered really God's enemies. They wouldn't even be. They wouldn't even been considered strangers of the land because they were coming against Jesus. So they really were lost in sin when they came to Peter to make this accusation. Yet, Christian, Jesus shows us here that it's more important that even he or his followers, a given again, like I said, a follower, somebody that does what he says, that you step back. And stop doing something that offends a lost or unsaved person, whether that's your neighbor, your co-worker, or your family member. Even if we are in the right or have every right to do something lawfully, if it brings offense to them. To bring this one to life, and God has done this for me before, I actually had a little small altercation with one of my neighbors just last weekend, or just last week, I should say. The situation was as such. I did something that offended my neighbor. He comes to me and he tells me that he didn't like that I did this certain thing. At first, I said, to my shame, I said, but I'm not doing anything unlawful. What I'm doing is right. It's not against the law. He said, but you're really, basically, in in essence, You're making me mad because you're doing it because I don't feel you're respecting me with what you're doing. So I said, well, you know, I'm not doing anything unlawful and that's the end of it. Well, I came in the house and God is speaking to me this whole time. And as I'm sitting in the house, I'm really grieved because in my heart and my spirit, I'm feeling God tell me, Ed, what are you going to speak on this Sunday? Aren't you going to speak on the fact of, you know, even my son Jesus? He did something, and it was not unlawful. He was not in the wrong. And yet, because it offended those that, you know, because it offended somebody, he didn't continue to do it because it offended them. Yet, you're going to a neighbor? And then I can just think here, am I better than God's only begotten son? And if Jesus took the back seat, and even though he was in the right lawful reason and way to do what he did, am I in the right to say, no, that doesn't have to be me? No, I'm a follower of Christ. So I sat in this house, and I stewed and brewed and prayed, but God won. I ended up going back over to the neighbor, and I said, by the way, I just want to know if that offends you, if this this really bothers you. And he said, well, it does. I said, well, then I'll do the thing that you're asking me to do. And I won't, and I won't do this thing to offend you. And so I, I apologize. I'm a follower of Christ. Uh, you know, I want to make it right. And you just the light on his face lit up, and we left friends as we were before the altercation. 
So I followed Jesus' example here. I got a chance to live it in life. Right before I was going to teach this message, I got a chance to live it in real life. To know exactly what Jesus went through here. Least we offend them, go and do what they're asking you to do. In the end, it all worked out right. Here in the end for Jesus, it all worked out right. And Christian, I have to tell you, this would go for any time another person, even a lost sinner, tells you about something that you have done that offends them. By following Jesus' example here, you should back off. Put back, put down and put back your pride, because my pride was standing strong last week. But, I, I'm, but I'm in the right, Lord. But I'm doing what's lawful. Lord, I'm not breaking the law with what I'm doing. Lord, the law says that I have every right to do what I'm doing here. But Ed, it offends him. Look at what you're reading this week. How could you teach what you're reading this week and then not do what I did and not follow my example? So I had to put down my pride. I had to stop being prideful and know and hear what Jesus did and follow his example. And I had to stop doing whatever it was that I was doing that offended my neighbor. But Christian, not offending non-believers is only part of your duty, actually, the Bible says. Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 8 that even other believers, even other Christians, if what you eat could cause them to stumble, if, uh, you know, if they're, it, let's say, you know, you're having lunch with, a, with somebody that's been an alcoholic in the past. For you to go to lunch with them, even if they're a strong believer, and to have an alcoholic beverage that could make them stumble because they used to be an alcoholic and struggle with alcoholism, the Bible says don't do it. It's better off if you don't do it than to do something and to make your brother stumble, to offend him, and then that one get lost. So Paul speaks about the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. That could be a whole sermon all of its own, except the only fact is just to point out that we are supposed to live lives like Romans 12, 18. Paul tells us, if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. He's not saying here, well, if you can, Christian. He's not saying that. What he's saying is, if it's possible, if there can be made peace. Sometimes you have people that no matter what you do, you can't make peace. Because they don't want peace. All they want to do is argue. And in essence, like the religious leaders. Even though Jesus constantly was making peace with them, he was doing, you know, and he was keeping, he wasn't doing things that offended them. He was trying to stay back from that. It still, they still would not they still would not make peace with him. And certainly that is possible in our lives. Certain people don't want peace to be made. As much as depends on you, he says next. That means, are you going to put down your pride? Or are you going to not put down your pride? But he says, live peaceably with all men. So I told you earlier, we were going to talk about an aspect of God's love. Why did Jesus care so much about not offending these guys about this temple tax? Why did he care so much about not offending them? Well, Hebrews 12, 14 tells us. Pursue peace with all people, kind of reinforces Romans 12. And holiness, listen to this. Because if we're doing this, he goes, look at, look, look at this. Without which no one will see the Lord. So if we're not going to Keep peace with people. If we're not going to be humble and put our pride down and not offend people and live while I don't care what he says, I'm going to live however. I, I'm doing what's right and he can just go jump in a lake. Okay? Then they won't see the Lord in you if you're living like that. Looking carefully, he says, Least anyone fall short of the grace of God. Least any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Or you could say, many 
become lost. So if we want to stand on our rights, and we don't care about the things and the ways which we live that sometimes may offend our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, and we're going to stand up for our rights, and we're just going to live however we're going to live, well, you know what, they've got to just get over it. Then they're not going to see the Lord living in us. They won't come to grace, to God's free gift of salvation. And they will become defiled if they're not already defiled. And they won't ever come to the Lord. Because why? Because you're a bad example of following Jesus Christ. That's why. But in another word, from God's perspective, he's saying here, why doesn't he want us to be an offense to people? Why does he want us to put down our pride? Why does he want us to you know, make peace with people? Because he loves them. 2 Peter 3.9 for God is not slack concerning slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So Jesus did this here, and he expects God, God expects us to do this same thing, as we saw this example here, to make peace with people, to not walk in these wrong ways toward people if it offends them, because God wants to save. And how do you know how many bad opportunities that neighbor, that coworker, that family member has had with different so-called religious people in the past that didn't do this? And maybe by your good conduct, maybe by your following Christ, and maybe by your not, you know, not walking in offense towards them, maybe, just maybe, they'll be brought to repentance. Ultimately, in God's eyes, What's most important to him of all things is our salvation. Romans 2.4 And it's the goodness of God that leads men, leads you, leads men to repentance. And if we're not showing people God's goodness and God's love, how will they ever come to repentance? Because, well, well, I'm not doing anything unlawful. Well, I'm doing what's right in the law but not according to Jesus. Because he was right in the law's eyes to not have to pay this tax. And yes, yet least he offended them. He said, go ahead and I'll do it and I'll even pay yours too. Ephesians 5.15 also says, See then that you walk circumspectly, looking at your ways, looking at your life, looking at everything that's going on around you. He says, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Everything that God tells us, every aspect of God, I said it earlier, and everything that God does comes from a pure heart of love. And we see that again here with this scripture right here. The reason Jesus did this, the reason the master paid the temple tax was because he was trying to get these people saved. And the reason we should follow that example is because the master wants to get people saved. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. All the aspects we see of God's love throughout scripture. Christian, my close to you. Very clearly here, Jesus Christ is telling us that we are to be careful how we live our lives on this planet earth in front of people, whether lost or saved. God simply wants us to walk in love towards people because he wants to show them that he is love. And we are his ambassadors. What is that? We are his people that represent him on the face of this planet. He wants to work through you, through a humble you, to show people his love. Now saying this, not wanting to offend others, saying this, there, there is only one stipulation for at least one time. Okay? This not offending anyone does not include preaching Jesus or preaching his gospel, okay? Because the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ are very offensive toward people. How shall they hear, the Bible says, unless someone goes out and tells them, okay? God tells us, his children, to go out and preach Christ. Preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are supposed to go do that. But what we're not supposed to do 
A lot of people, I don't, know, I don't know if there's a lot of Christians out there struggling with this one, but I have in the past. But what we're not supposed to do is we're supposed to preach the gospel first, but then if somebody says to us, listen, man, I've heard it before, and you know what? I heard it just now, and I'm not interested. Well, then you're not supposed to go and keep trying to talk to them about the gospel. Because what? It's offending them. We're not supposed to keep going and trying to shove it down their throat because you just got to listen because you just got to because you just, I want to save you. And God wants to save you. No, you're offending me. Leave me alone. We're supposed to leave them alone. We did our job already. Jesus said in the New Testament when telling the disciples about going forth and preaching the gospel, he said, if they reject you in one city, walk to the edge of the city, knock the dust off your feet, and leave. Don't keep staying there in that city. Don't keep preaching to the people that don't want to hear you because they've already told you we don't want to listen to you. Get away from me with your gospel. And then Jesus said, go. Kick the dust off your feet and leave them. They don't want anything to do with me. And because we can't make people get saved. We can't force them to accept the message of salvation. We can't force them to accept Christ. So that's for us. So I hope that if there's anybody out there, like I had this example last week, I hope there's anybody out there listening and saying, man, I was wrong and I hope you repent. But walk circumspectly. Watch how you're living in this life, Christian. And walk in love and in humility toward your neighbors and your co-workers and those that are around you. And by golly, if you find out that you do something that offends somebody, Well, then by golly, follow Jesus' example here and apologize for it and stop doing whatever it is that you were doing that offended them. That's for Christians. Now I have a little close for those that are not gods, those that aren't walking with the Lord, those that are not saved. If you just listen to this message and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, that doesn't involve me, you know, whatever. Yeah, 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 I, I heard you, but listen to this. You're still listening. If you're out there and you're not walking with God, and you're not saved, and you're not a Christian, and you don't, you know, that's just, you've chosen your path, and so on and so forth, but you're still listening. You can't miss this huge point here of what I just said, of why Jesus did what he did here, and why Jesus tells his children to keep peace with all peoples, staying away from the sin, staying away from offending others. You can't miss it. My man, my woman, you can't miss it. It's because of his love for you. He doesn't want to offend you because he wants you to see his love. And he wants you to be drawn to him because he is love. And it is his goodness that will draw you to repentance. God loves you so much. Just like we read last week, Matthew 17, 22 and 23. The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. Well, that very thing that he did, he did it for mankind. He did it for you, O man or O woman, whoever you are. God did that for you. He went to that cross, and he allowed himself to be brutally murdered, and he allowed himself to be buried in the ground. Why? Because of his love for you. Because of his love, because he wants to save you. He wants you to be his. He wants you to give he wants to give you a new life. He doesn't want you to burn in hell forever. He wants to give you eternal life. So I exhort you today, look through the New Testament, please, and look at all the things and look at all the characteristics. Pray, God, show me if this Pastor Ed guy says what he says is true and all these characteristics of you are love. Then Lord then God, if you know, Jesus it, it, I'm kind of interested, but please show me how much you love me. I want to see it. And then, you know, I challenge you. Go through the New Testament and look for all the ways that God shows you his love for you. Because God is not about lip service. God is about action. Lip service is lip service. Words are words. And words are easy. Words are cheap. But God showed us his love He demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us to prove his love for us, to prove how much he cares for you so that you could see this great love 
and then you could receive it, and then you could have it, and then God could be your God, and you could walk in peace and love with Him and inherit eternal life forevermore. So I hope you consider, if you're listening to me out there, wherever you are, if you're not walking with the Lord, look at all the examples I've given you of God's love for you. There's nobody on this planet that will ever love you like the God of the Bible loves you. I pray today you come to Him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for all the ways in which you show us all the wonderful characteristics of your love in your, in your word. Thank you so much, dear God. Thank you so very, very, very much. Lord, I pray for the Christians out there, first of all, Lord. I pray that, Lord God, just as you gave me an example, a living life example just last week of this same thing I taught on today. Lord, I pray that every Christian that's in this room and every Christian that's listening to this online, would, Lord, that they would watch how they walk in this life that they would walk circumspectly in love toward others, showing them your love. And Lord God, not just walk in whatever they're going to walk in to just offend people. Lord, I pray, please, Lord, if they find out that they're walking in opposition towards somebody or that somebody's not at peace with them because of something that they've done, Lord God, then I pray, Lord God, that you would that you would convict that Christian that's listening right now, Lord God, and that they would go back to that person and realize what they did was wrong, and then apologize and say, listen, I, I don't, I'm sorry I offended you, and I'll stop doing that right now. I pray, Lord God, that you would convict their hearts right now, and that they would do what's right, walking in love toward whoever, everybody in the world, Lord, showing them your love, because it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. And Lord, I pray for those out there that are not yours. I pray, Lord God, that they would just Lord, that as they hear me, as they listen to me, Lord, that your love would pound into their head. Lord, and that they would realize, Lord God, that they're on the wrong path and that they're mad at the wrong person, Lord Jesus, because you're not the one to be wrong with or you're not the one to be angry with. Man, yeah, man, man does wrong. People do wrong toward others. But Lord God, you are love. And Lord, I just pray that they would see this love of yours. And Lord God, that they would repent, knowing that they've been angry with the wrong one. Lord, we can be angry with people if they do us wrong. But Lord God, you never do anyone wrong. Your whole life, Jesus Christ, you live was all in love. Everything you did is love. God, Almighty Father, everything you did in the Old Testament was because you loved people. It was because you loved the children of men the sons of men. So Lord, I pray for that person out there that's listening that's not yours, that they would repent right now just seeing your love and that they would give you their lives, Lord God. Because if you love us that much, you're going to take care of us. You're going to help us. You're going to be there for us. And Lord, this is what they can have right now. They can have peace in their hearts now. They can have love that fills their hearts now. So Lord, I pray that you would just break them right now. Show them they're on the wrong path and bring them to Christ. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.